What are the rules for the use of common Hyperborean lore in fantasy tales, stories, settings? Is it okay to bend it a little bit, or should it be left alone completely, in your opinion? And this is Hyperborean Radio. I, of course, am the lore keeper, and with me, as always, is the Celtic God. Hi. Uh, let's start off with our plugs, as we always do. Yep. Uh, you um, can... That was actually a question from one of our patrons on Patreon. So Which... just in case you're curious, yes, we have a Patreon. Yes, and you can back us there for as little as a dollar a month. And then you can also back us on Buy Us a Coffee and Buy Us a Book. Mm-hmm. And you can also get our T-shirts from Teesprings. T-shirts, stickers, cups. Hoodies. Um, oh, yeah, uh, we sell some posters from Aethel Wolf. Just um, a lot of cool shit. Yeah, stuff and on there. yeah, actually, basically, if you want to support some people trying to actually do something, make some changes in the world, well, we're your people. Yes, and you can also support us by sharing us around. We are a niche within a niche. We are the dirty secret of the pagan sphere, the people that plenty of people listen to, but not everybody wants to admit right. it. So well, a lot of people around, tune in and they don't make it past that very first intro before we even get through our plugs. Now, is it attention span or is it just how brutal we are? You decide. Yes. All right. So, uh, yeah, that was a question from one of our patrons on, on Patreon, and it's, it seems on the surface like it's a really simple question, but it's a hugely massive question. And we decided that we're going to to keep this within the focus of the fantasy genre. Well, right? the reason being is that seems to be mostly what he's talking about, but it also limits it. Because if we try to look at the entire broad category of storytelling, because fantasy is such a macro category in and of itself mm-hmm. without adding everything else in. Well, and really, before we really get going into it, it's like a real-life conversation you was there for one of them that, that I've had with uh, normies, I guess, about ethnic faith is, well, are the fairies and the, the gnomes, the gnomes as I like to call them, all these, these creatures, are they real? They're, and he's coming from a Christian perspective, so they're as real as angels are, minimum. That's absolute minimum. So calling them fantasy or made up is not accurate. These are actually religious figures. For lack of a better term. For for a lack of a better term. We're really limited by language, but I'm sure you can kind of figure out what it is that we're getting at is these are as real as they need to be. So just calling them fantasy is not accurate. And you can't endlessly take your own spin on these things. And that's kind of the issue that's right. sort of... It's not like up. cyborgs, where no. you can just constantly redefine what is a cyborg. And even that, you can't just redefine what a cyborg is. Well, like the Cybermen from Doctor Who are mm-hmm. cyborgs. The Borg from Star Trek are cyborgs. These are two very different cyborgs, but they're still cyborgs. And again, that's science fiction, so... Right. I guess the way to explain it is when you write something, whether it's fantasy, whatever it is. You're not writing it in a vacuum. You're part of an inheritance of eons of storytelling. So there's a responsibility, an obligation. And because of how our people react to stories, especially fantasy, because that's where a lot of our lore, a lot of our gods, a lot of our spirits, a lot of what would have been classified, for la- again, for lack of a better term, as religious figures, sort of gets shuffled to. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of the most popular conceptions in modern fantasy are compl- are either completely wrong or just kind of off, right. like the gnomes, as you like to call them. There's a G there for a reason, so let's use it. 
the gnomes. There are gnomes in the Lord of the Rings, in Tolkien's works. He just calls them dwarves. The dwarves in Lord of the Rings are actually, if you look at their lore and how they act, they are far, far closer to gnomes. Yes. And uh, you've actually pointed out the whole reason he probably didn't call them gnomes was because gnomes were little garden things. Yeah, it's because of the the view... The worldview at the time when he wrote the books and where he where he lived at, one, they were fanciful creatures, but two, everybody thought of the garden gnome. So he would have had to redefine in their mind what a gnome was versus taking a another mythological creature, another folkloric creature, the dwarf, and just defining that for them. So I, I this isn't hating on Tolkien, it's understanding why he did what he did but he shouldn't have done it well it's the same with the elves the elves in tolkien's work are actually closer to the fairy specifically the fairy not the fae the fairy the nobility of the fae Mm -hmm. and they have almost nothing to do with folkloric elves but due to this and due to the way that our people learn we have learned this is what elves are and this is what dwarves are Neither of these things are what they are presented as. However, had he called them gnomes and, or called them and called the elves fairy, then people would have a, a much more accurate uh, perception of what these creatures actually are. And it's because our people learn from stories. So if you're going to write a story, make a movie, a video game, whatever, it's still all storytelling, the sacred act of storytelling. There's a responsibility, especially as a heathen, to present these things correctly. Well, we've said it before. We'll say it again. When you're a heathen, there are higher standards than when you're just someone who likes this Mm -hmm. stuff. And I understand why Tolkien had to do it, because if you look at where he was, the British Isles, there's not that much on dwarves. There's not that much on elves, but there's gnomes are pretty much something no one takes seriously. Mm -hmm. And the fae are, by the time he's writing it down, they're little tinkerbells. Yes. So and he knew better because he did a lot of research and he did it old school. He didn't have the advantages that we have now. He didn't have the internet. He there, There's been a lot of research and, and books written on where people's gone around the countryside since then uh, discovering, rediscovering oral fo- folklore, and it's been written down. So he had, up to that point, the oral folklore from the region that he's in, like talking to the Greybeards, and then whatever happened to be in the library. And he did some traveling, doing research specifically on the folkloric um, creatures and uh, on folklore, period. Well, and he has elements of Finnish. He has elements of Scandinavian, Germanic, Slavic, Greek, Roman, Celtic. He kind of took from everything that right. he could. Well, and the halfling is specifically the English people oh, yeah. from, from the countryside, the, oh, yeah. rural, the rural English people. It's basically just a character of the English people. Well, no, they're they're short and they have curly hair and they have hairy feet. Plenty of people have hairy feet. Right. Well, and why do I say that the the hobbits are the the rural country folk of England? Because he said so. He himself described them that way. And then he gave them a look and a feel that would fit within the world that he was building. Basically, what he did was he took the idea of the English people and then he made it into a person, which is partly why you can't do what they do with Rings of Power. Right. Or a lot of these other. That's what happens when you put your own spin on it, which is something that we're still reeling from with Tolkien, Mm -hmm. because 
I'm not going to sit here and insult Tolkien. Tolkien did a lot of really good work. But Tolkien also kind of started basically all of the modern fantasy genre. And it's not that there weren't issues in how a lot of the beings were represented. It's a double-edged sword. It is. So uh, Dungeons and Dragons, pretty much every fantasy series that's been written since Tolkien has been influenced so much by Tolkien that their perception of, say, dwarves. When they present dwarves, they're presenting gnomes. Yes, and they don't even realize it. And did he, did he I, I mentioned what he himself said about the hobbits or, or the halflings because I believe he calls them both, uh, which was part of the suit that they had with Dungeons & Dragons and their, and their halflings. I believe that he, he referenced them a couple times as halflings, even though their species is hobbit. Anyways, that beside the point. He, he said that they were a representation of the English country folk, right? Did he say that the dwarves are actually gnomes? No. Did he say that the elves are actually fairy? No. What I'm doing there is I'm actually looking at the lore around the fairy and the elves and which one actually fits the Tolkien elves. Same way with the dwarves and the gnomes. The actual folklore, the dwarves fit the gnomes, not the dwarves. Dwarves, for instance, specifically make magic items. They're also a type of giant or god. The gnomes are creatures that live in the ground. They're, they're earth all spirits. over. Yeah, they're earth spirits, and they make mundane items, but they make mundane items extremely well, which is exactly what the dwarves do. Well, so there, there's no magic. Gimli's axe is not magic. No, it's just a good axe. It's just a really good axe. Now, the elven, or the fi- in reality, the fairy weapons, those are the magical ones, like Sting, the, the long sword. I forget the names of all the swords. I mean, we both like Lord of the Rings, but we're not massive fans. We're not Tolkien heads. Yeah, no. we're, we're not Tolkien heads. Is that what their official name is? I have is? no idea. Oh. That's, how, that's how not a huge Tolkien fan right. I am. And I appreciate his stories, but the magic weapons are the equivalent of fairy weapons. The dwarven weapons are mundane weapons made extremely well. So gnomes. So gnomes. Or gnomes. Yeah, gnomes, because it's funny. And why waste a perfectly good letter? Well, and then just to kind of speed run through it, the goblins are not monsters, though he represents them because he needed a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, orcs are basically a combination of ogres, goblins, and the name of a wild god from the Alps, the orc, or mm-hmm. orcus, I think is another None one. of which are inherently bad. No. Even the ogre, because not all ogres are people eaters, so not all right. ogres are monsters. Monsters are, are, are people eaters, um, and not all ogres are people eaters. True. And then uh, the Ents. The Ents are closer to how trolls work, or if you want to go into the Slavic region, you can say Leshy. Yeah, pretty much. They're, they're like the Celtic troll or the Slavic Leshy. Leshy. Yeah. So either one, but they're not Ents, which means eater, which is a giant, which is a specific, uh, basically it means mon- giant monster or monster giant. I think he kind of got it from Etten, but I'm not sure. Probably. And that's just one guy, I and mean, that's not even covering the whole amount of his influence, because Tolkien is a giant among men when it comes to fantasy mm-hmm. literature. People have actually pointed out, a lot of people, when they write fantasy, they just write stories. Tolkien wrote literature, like they put his stuff on a pedestal, 
and everything else they consider derivative. Even though there's a lot of stuff that even though it pulls from Tolkien, like uh, you're a big fan of like the Myth series by mm. Robert Asprin. That does pull a little bit from the Tolkien understanding, but the rest of the understanding is more Asprin's own right. sort of spin. Right, and th this actually speaks to the importance of following the lore as accurately as possible. It doesn't mean that you can't have fairy in the Bronx or goblins in the sewers of New York. Or it, wizards in London. Yeah, or wizards in London. You can have all of this stuff. But the goblins, be, especially because we're heathen, and people are going to learn about heathenry through our stories. So, and, and uh, there's a lot of drift that we've we've noticed because we've talked about this a lot on on podcasts and in real life where uh, there's a lot of drift where a lot of these creatures, the stories, the gods, etc., are coming back to mean to what they actually are. So let's speed this up a little bit. And when you tell a story involving goblins have the goblins be folkloric goblins just in a new situation that's perfectly fine same way with the fairy actual fairy and yes this means doing actual research as opposed to just reading tolkien and then running off with his understanding of an elf or even just retitling his elves as fairy because that's not 100 percent accurate either well I'm it's like 90 percent accurate well i'm part of the quagmire the sort of issue that spawns from the folklore mm-hmm is the fact that even before Tolkien and other famous fantasy authors wrote their pieces, there were conflations across the board. Mm -hmm. Like one of the most common is the cult of the dead or like the ancestral spirits, the ghosts would be fused with all these other things. Like mm -hmm. there are stories of witches that are very obviously supposed to be spirits of the dead and same with the fae. And then there are pagans that got called fae and there are pagans that got called elves and then the elves got called fairy and the fairy got called elves and people are like well that's because the elves and fairy are the same no it's because people weren't really caring and then they ended up sort of scrunching them together and then if you're not willing to pull these apart then you just end up treating them as synonyms right which is always a slippery slope well and that's like the modern conception of the werewolf the closest one that we found is actually in a video game uh, Resident Evil Village, and it's it's caused by a parasite and all these things, but the imagery, yeah, the imagery where specifically it doesn't shift, uh, shape change, uh, shape shift. Most of them don't in the game. There's a couple that do, but most of them, the most they get is like kind of sharp teeth and like hyper aggressive and faster and stronger. Mm -hmm. Like the one boss, the one with the big mane of a beard, that one's the most accurate in terms of appearance. Yeah. And basically what Werewolf was used for a, for a while was basically more or less Wild Man. Yeah. So, and these big multi-million dollar, billion dollar video game industries that are dumping potentially hundreds of millions of dollars into a video game, they have entire research um, teams. teams. And they're, that's why some of these things are getting really close. And it really makes me angry because... Then it shows that the stuff that they get really wrong, they're getting it wrong on purpose. Well, like the God of War, specifically the Norse, because I don't know enough about how they did the Greek. <clears throat> I saw many egregious errors with the Greek yeah. ones, but with the Norse. Well, it's like the more money that they made, the more money, because they realize people like that Greek lore, for instance, right? So they start dumping money, more money into the research so that they could be more accurate because they realized people would like it more. But then when they get the stuff wrong, they're getting it wrong on purpose. Precisely. Because, like, the new God of War game that's coming out, mm -hmm. that is possibly the most 
accurate physical depiction of Thor that I have ever seen in any pop culture medium. Well, and, and a reasonable, uh, reasonable, um, what is that? Um, figuring a logical guess on what mag, uh, magnet, magnet, Magni Modi, what would, would be like, they, they got, um, Balder incredibly accurate based off from all the descriptions. And yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit too scrawny, but I mean, he is a youthful god. So well, they actually sure. kind of made him too old by giving him yeah. a full beard. Yeah, they they actually made him, which is what made him look scrawny. Had they actually made him look youthful, he would just look like a very fit youth. And then we get to Angerboda. Yes, and then comes that. I would rather focus on the wonderful job that they did on the World Serpent. They didn't make him a hyper-violent monster. They made him gentle and understanding and knowledgeable. How much research has to go into this to understand he is not, the world serpent is not some thrashing monster that wants to destroy the world? Well, why else would they put him on their ships? Yeah, and then, Angerboda. What? Yeah, that's problematic. That was done on purpose. Well, and that I, was a political decision. Well, and I like how they did Freya because it wasn't too inaccurate. But then they made her also Frigg at the same time. Mm -hmm. That was a problem. But that was my biggest gripe with the first game because I understand they got to make, oh, the gods are bad, and you know they have to have some kind of conflict. Or well, and they're they're not, game. and they're not uh, heathen either. No, so I, again, I so have, we have like, to do a better job as heathens telling stories than they do, which is the other thing. And this is kind of why fantasy is so important, because like Lord of the Rings, we have met plenty of pagans that what they are is they're fans of Lord of the Rings that so desperately, desperately want Lord of the Rings to basically be their spirituality, that they've latched on to paganism. And they'll say the pagan words, but if you start grilling them, yeah, that what they are is they're using paganism as a smokescreen to disguise the fact that they're basically venerating Tolkien's works. Mm -hmm. Oh, um... We've probably already lost most of the uh, the Tolkien fans as soon as I said that dwarves are gnomes and elves are actually fairy. But uh, one of the Scan obvious Scandinavian influences is the um, the mountain giants that's causing the storms and they're throwing boulders back and forth at each other. That comes directly from Scandinavian folklore. Oh, yeah, they have giants and certain kinds of trolls doing that. Like You can even find like old depictions from like John Bauer with, like, the, the the trolls are causing the landslides and stuff mm -hmm. because of what they're doing on top of the mountains. So and, yeah, that's it, there's lore from all across Europe. Well, in, and, in that story. Well, and part of the reason we're going with more examples than say just going down a laundry list of this is what you should do. Our lore is way too vast. Yeah, it's it was an excellent question that was asked, but man, is the answer so big, don't even really know where to start at. This is, in reality, our second go at this podcast. We recorded a whole another hour, and we're like, did we actually do this justice? The answer turned out to be no. That's why you're listening to this version. Well, and one thing that I want to emphasize is I've never seen anything that gets everything correct. Everything is always off. And this is just on my research. So I'm mm -hmm. aware that there are elements I'm missing. But from what I know, nothing gets it completely right. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, Harry Potter. The way I would describe Harry Potter is they took like the Christian lore of what they viewed the heathens as. So the witches, the werewolves, the, the spells and whatnot. And then they just de-demonized it. And they mm -hmm. presented it. 
and just like Lord of the Rings, there are people that make Harry Potter their spirituality, which shows that there is this call. To there's the, an inherent power in storytelling, specifically within this genre. There's a there's power in all forms of storytelling, but fantasy, because it uses our religious figures, because it uses our spirits, our gods, our heroes as inspiration is much closer mm-hmm. and it's much easier to have that level of influence and it can completely contort our own view of our spirits and gods which will then by proxy contort our own view of ourselves so like if you need a monster for a story a troll is perfectly valid you could use a troll but understand not all trolls are monsters the it seems the actual thing that makes a monster a monster is eating humans. And not all trolls eat humans. Yeah, and not all trolls eat humans. Quite a few of them, according to lore, actually help people. Same way with even some ogres and giants and so on and so forth. Are there monstrous ones? Yes, there are some that eat people. There are also some that are simply in opposition of humans. That does not make them monsters. Well, I think people, when they get so obsessed with symbolism and whatnot they forget that these these spirits these gods they're autonomous they have their own ability they to are make alive decisions. precisely so like the fairy there might be some fairy that don't like people they're going to be more aggressive more deadly well one it's it's occult heavy but hellboy um uh they call him He's he's based on Lou. They call him Nuwata. Uh, in the second film, yeah, Prince Nuwata. He is not actually a bad guy. He is just in opposition. He is doing. He is fighting for what he believes is right for his people. He is trying to save his people. How is that a bad guy? Oh yeah, for the the fairy folk, which is basically what he's the prince of in that world. I mean, he's an elf, but the fairy yeah, they got folk a lot of like stuff wrong. It's but. That's basically Lou, and what he is is he's a hero from with who made a lot of sacrifice plays, but he's a hero not to people, and that's what I think a lot of people forget is like the elves, and the fairy, and the trolls. While they're not necessarily antagonistic towards us, they're not inherently for us either. Yes, they're for themselves, and they might be specifically attached to us or care about us the most and most of our spirits are specifically bonded to us right but that doesn't make them necessarily allies and right. it doesn't necessarily well, make them antagonists either. and one thing somebody could do with a story is they are bonded to us and therefore they stand in opposition of what we've, we've become trying to help us return to who we were but so many people I mean, think about it right now. In reality, a lot of people are trying to get in the way of that. They don't want us returning to who we truly are. Now, imagine Faye fighting for our people because they love us, but they see how corrupted and twisted so many of us have become. What might they do? Precisely, because there's actually several gods. They're fairly kind. To those that are more heathen minded, but the more Christian minded they are, the more civilized they are, the more aggressive they are. There's the old man of the mountain, commonly called Rubazol, but that's an insult name. Krampus and Perchta. All of them can be very kind to those that are more heathen minded, more. Well, and you can even us. see it in some of the uh, like the, the Krampus runs I pointed out. And I'm taking what the, the people that do the Krampus runs, the, the ones that get in the, the costumes. The way that they describe it, and they describe it the same way as the people for the um, for the person runs. They put on the costume. At first, they are, I don't know, John in the costume. 
but then they get going and they stop being John and they become the Krampus. They become the Purchison. And watching the more so, watching a lot of videos involving, especially the Krampus, because it's just cool and and fun, especially with the whipping of the uh, the whipping of the people. I don't know if they do that with the person runs. Um, oh, they do. Okay. Yeah, it's just not necessarily always the same way. Okay, but anyways, uh, I watched a bunch of the the Krampus runs, probably about ten fifteen years worth of them, somewhere around fifty to seventy five videos, and I noticed once they get going, they can't help themselves. They're very kind to the, to the children. They'll play the scary monster, but they're always gentle. The more rough and gruff and and just more in nature with themselves, the person are, the the slaps go from being hard whips to just being playful little taps and some obvious joking and they'll they'll like jump around like like they're laughing and just having fun and aren't you a good person? But then they come across this hyper civilized, very groomed people and they they'll jump up in the air and like they're hitting them as hard as they can with those whips and even that pales in comparison to uh not us that end up going to those yeah yeah and that's not even counting what they do to the not us that that go to those those festivals where it turns into outright attacks oh yeah like uh the quote-unquote refugees that uh ended up in europe uh the crop got just pushed down the streets on their faces on occasion oh yeah they were yeah, and they they split like rats. Yes, and, and then you see see them where the the lady she's more feminine, I guess, but her hair's all groomed. the The Krampus will mess her hair up, steal her hat, and turn it inside out, and stuff it back on her head. Like, be more wild, be more who you are, be proud of who and what you are. This is it's a, just a thing across the board. And in a way, these celebrations they're storytelling as well. The these. Well, it's the processions are a form of storytelling. It's like uh, we've talked about what we want to do for Halloween. If we could, we'd get like a whole Halloween procession like used to be done. Mm -hmm. And we would just go door to door like old school Halloween mumming, basically. Yeah. And that is a form of storytelling because then anyone that sees that is like, oh, my gosh, look at all the cool creatures and monsters. And that inspires its own form of storytelling. There are many forms of storytelling. They're not all just telling the story. Right. And that's like music, there's play, there's comic books, and most forms of storytelling are just continuations of older versions. Mm -hmm. So like comic books are really old. It's just they used to be something else. It's like old Greek pottery is just really old comic books. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, There's there's a responsibility and a a sacredness about it. And as heathens, we need to, if we're not sure what a fairy actually is, don't write a story with a fairy. If you're not 100% sure what an elf is, don't just put your own spin on it. You're As a heathen, you're going to have to do a deep dive. Scrape the Christian influence off from the elves or the fairy or whatever the creatures are and and dive into the folklore because the folklore is there. Don't, don't read what John Esquire says about the folklore. Read the folklore itself. If you can find people that actually know stories, Listen to the stories and understand there is going to be a Christian. It's going to be run through a Christian lens and understand that what we do with our monsters is we kill them. That's why we don't have monsters. When they do crop up, we kill them. It's consistent in the folklore. Whenever a monster crops up, we kill it. Whether 
whether it be dragon, which just basically means monster, or an ogre, or a troll that is eating people. What is it that happens really consistently in the, in the folklore? We kill it. So we don't have them. It's not that we can't, that they don't pop up because we also have human monsters in the folklore where people are eating people. And then what do we do with them? We kill them. Well, and it's not that in history we haven't used that as a means of propaganda. Mm -hmm. Because like the old Irish werewolves, they would claim that they would eat the babies. They didn't eat the babies. What they they did was they adopted them to replenish their numbers. Well, because the, the... Various villages and tribes and whatnot would hire the Irish werewolves to come help them, usually fighting off some other group. And then the 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 Irish werewolves would demand children in return for their services, not money, children. The church then said, oh, they must be eating the babies because when they take the babies, we don't see them again. Well, no shit. If you see them again, they're probably grown up, grown up and heathen as fuck. Yeah. It's nothing new for the lore to be twisted. Because, mm-hmm. like, uh, Wagner. We've gone over how Wagner twisted the lore a little bit. And people actually got mad because he represented the gods wrong. Like, Wotan. People got mad. Like, people of the time and the area got very angry. Because they actually understood who Wotan was. And, like, that's not Wotan. I don't know what the frick mm-hmm. you're doing. So people actually got angry. Same with uh, the fairy lore with, like, Midsummer's Night's Dream oh, yeah. and some of Shakespeare's works. And this is part of why we're so susceptible to the incorrect storytelling nowadays of the fantasy genre and its sort of related ideas is we are not actually raised with our own lore anymore so we don't we're not inoculated we don't know like what is a fairy because we're not raised with what a fairy is anymore we're not raised with what an elf is anymore we're not raised with what a troll is anymore well it's like that one guy that we was talking to um And he was all sorts of shocked and got really uncomfortable with the idea that we even have culture or history Uh, because we was talking about Halloween, remember? And all of a sudden start talking about culture and history. He just clams up like, what? There's culture and history? We're not allowed to have culture and history and watch his brain just fucking short circuit. It's partly because people think we don't have anything. And what it is is it's a lie repeated enough time becomes the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that happens with fantasy it's the same thing that happens with storytelling and it's not always malevolent which is part of why like i don't think tolkien misrepresented things for malevolence i don't yeah, think shakespeare think it was did malicious. it for malevolence i don't think wagner did it for malevolence i don't think m- most people did it for malevolence i think it was just genuine misunderstanding and it's been going on for thousands of and, years well a combination of genuine uh, misunderstanding and or financial limitations. Or in some cases, uh, they can't represent it accurately because the church would not like that. Right. Because that happened a lot, too. Yes. Well, I know with with uh, Wagner, for instance, it was financial limitations for sure. Were there other considerations? Probably. But for sure, there was financial limitations in what he could do with his opera. Because you have to hire actresses and actors and... The, the practice time, the more heads that you have, the more practice time there is, so on and so forth. And then if you have, yeah, yeah, it, it, it becomes an issue. Well, and it's part of the limitations of media. And then you have different things of the time. For instance, Thor, the Marvel Thor, is probably the most notable example. You run into heathens that use the Marvel genealogy. You have people that treat Valhalla like heaven. 
Well, and yeah. really, the Marvel Thor is more closely based off from Balder, Balder than off from Thor. Well, yeah, because that's actually something I've brought up is basically what the Marvel Thor is is Balder in a Thor costume. Yes. And then you have we've actually run into people who think Heimdall is black because of Idris Elba playing Heimdall. Yes, and, and people that call themselves pagan. Yeah, and it's it's how susceptible we are to storytelling, which is why we've so stressed the need to be accurate. Because I've run into a lot of pagans. I correct something, and I I can even come off a bit aggressive because I'm that defensive of the stories, and I'm so used to people that are unwilling to look at the lore and they get so attached to a specific idea of something Mm -hmm. that i'm unwilling to sort of but long story short most people actually once you inform them they're like oh i didn't know that and they just genuinely didn't know it's like i don't think most people get i don't know othin so off because they want to be that off i think they're just going off of what they hear right well they're learning the right way the people that's doing the teaching and that's the thing when you tell the story you are teaching whether that's your intention or not. It doesn't matter what your intention is. You tell a story. You write down a story. You are teaching our people whether you want to or not. You can stand there and stamp your foot and say, but it's just entertainment all you want. It doesn't matter. You can even tell people this is not lore accurate. It doesn't matter. Our people will learn from the stories regardless it doesn't matter what your what your intentions are. It doesn't matter. We are going to absorb these stories and we're going to make them alive because that's what we do. Simple as that. That's why it is so important that you remain lore accurate. It doesn't mean that news stories can't be told. Like, like I said way earlier, you can have goblins in the sewers of New York. You can have fairies in the sewers of New York. It doesn't matter. Well, so long as the fairies are fairies, the goblins are goblins, the gnomes are gnomes, the dwarves are dwarves. Well, actually, some of my favorite genres are urban fantasy, mm-hmm. and it's because it brings the gods and the spirits into the modern day. It doesn't leave them in the past because people want to like leave the lore in the past like it's ancient. No, it's constant. It's living. It's why fantasy itself is so important is because for better or worse, this is the continuation of of the traditions we just started reclassifying it Mm -hmm. it's like fairy tales fairy tales used to be called wonder tales because they were supposed to inspire wonder Mm -hmm. and then eventually they became known as fairy tales which eventually caused them to be taken less and less seriously because their purpose had been lost and it's the same with fantasy fantasy if you go back far enough is just medieval romances and epics and sagas. So then what do you suppose you do? Because there's probably somebody out there saying, but I really like Tinkerbell. First, Tinkerbell in the older stories is called a pixie. Is she pixie accurate? Not really. But what you can do is rather than calling her a fairy or even a pixie, call her a fae. And then, yeah, because fae is like mortal. We've pointed this out many, many times. times. There, more there is more mortal uh, there yeah everything in our realm is mortal it doesn't matter if it's if it's us a different race a dog a cat porcupine worm it doesn't matter we're all mortals because we are from the mortal realm anything from the realm of fey is a fey then you have the fey re so you can have tinkerbell because the the tinkerbell creature has entered 
or consciousness. Just call it a fae. Once you learn what a pixie is, you'll be like, oh yeah, Tinkerbell is not a pixie. Tinker, she's not nearly savage enough and she's about a hundred times too small. And uh, yeah, just everything about her is not like a pixie. But could she be a fae? Yeah, like a fae type butterfly or, or, or light whatever the hell. Um, like a lightning bug or something like that. The fae equivalent of that. Sure, it doesn't matter because these creatures have entered our consciousness. I think that's why people get so mad when we're like, fairy do not have wings. Which people putting wings on fairy and making them tiny makes me angry because it's not the lore. It's not what the fairy are. But I understand that they like Tinkerbell. They like the butterfly wings. But those aren't fairy. They're fae, sure. But they're not fairy. Well, and that's the other thing is fantasy in the modern day is not just our lore anymore. It's been conflated with the Semitic lore. It's been conflated with the African lore, the Amerindian lore, the Japanese lore, and on and on. And it's sort of become this all-engulfing conception. Right, which is why we have to do the research because, well, it's just fantasy after all. No, it is not just fantasy. It's it is not even fantasy. fantasy. It shouldn't be even called fantasy. I understand, but it, fantasy, meaning fantastic tales or fantastical tales, made up stories. Yeah, but also no, because they're using religious figures. They can't help themselves. They love our, our religious figures because our religious figures are freaking awesome. That's why even the Japanese, the Japanese use elves. They use fairy goblins, goblins, they, so they, on. They get it way wrong. They bastardize the living shit out of it. Why? Because it's not them. No. And most of the time they end up going off of D&D. &D. Yeah. One thing I would love to see not happen anymore because it is such a played out crappy fucking use of the lore. The oh, the the fairy or the elves or insert fantasy folkloric race of beings. They're oppressed by the evil, wicked humans just stop with that it's been overdone and it wasn't good the first time and it's because it starts using our spirits our deities as analogs to the other races and i yeah. that is a and they bludgeon our people with that well it's like a lot of people will try to make the goblins the semites or the orcs the blacks stop giving our spirits our gods our religious figures to another race just because you want to have some code to insult them like five-year-olds making up a language. Right. Yeah, I mean, really just call them what they are. And really, they're just a different species. There's no reason to hate them. But we definitely shouldn't be calling them orcs. We definitely shouldn't be calling them goblins. We definitely sh shouldn't be calling them any of our religious figures. Well, when you call black people orcs, you're calling them gods. Yes. Well, same way, really, when you call Jews goblins. And I don't know, what, 20 minutes into actual folkloric research into goblins, and then you realize, oh, they're not money-grubbing little monsters that, like, eat cats and steal babies. None of this is in the lore. This is all bastardized attacks on goblins, which are not that. Not that at all. Usually what ends up happening is they use just something that most people don't know so then that colors in their perception mm -hmm. like they'll know it as like a tertiary thing 
It's like if someone tried to do something about Amerindian lore, I wouldn't know enough about it to be like, that's wrong. Right. Well, and the thing is, really, a lot of our people don't know our own lore. So as heathens, it becomes our responsibility to teach it by a proxy. And really, there is no better way to teach it than through stories. Which is how we learn everything anyway. Yes. Math, science, history, everything. Yeah, everybody remembers in math class. Little Tommy has an apple and little Susie has an apple. How many apples does little Tommy and little Susie have together? They're telling a story to teach us math. Well, and then you also have like how your family would tell you stories. You know, little songbirds up there hippity hopping on different branches. That, too, is a child of the hunter. And, and just was, point at the at the bird. That's the whole story. But it emphasizes that's a killer. That is a hunter. It will eat. And Show it respect. Things. Same with. Um, and and respect. It doesn't mean don't kill it. it. Just means show it respect. Don't kill it simply be simply to kill it. Which is an important lesson. And it's the same with uh, your family when there was thunder rolling and you, they would start being like, "That's Thor. He's the great." Well, kaboom. specifically one of my uncles. Yeah, that that one was like. It's Thor, not Thor. Thor? No, not Thor. It's Thor. Here? It's Thor, not Thor. That's what I was hearing. Yeah, he and had, he got so angry with me. Yes, it was basically he was pronouncing it correctly and then incorrectly, but you couldn't tell the difference because it's these slight differences. It's like Well, that is a freaking thunderstorm. I mean, a pounder. There's rain just coming down where you shaking can, the earth. Yeah, dude, it was it was loud, and then he's standing there screaming at me as a kid. It's Thor, not Thor. It's the great Cthulhu. Yes, the, that's the one thing I could hear different is it's the Cthulhu part. It's it's Thor, not Thor. It's Thor. It's Thor, not Thor. So it's yeah. It, but that's how we learn is through stories. So I encourage our people to tell stories to comic books and, and and fantasy books like it's fine to make up a story involving i don't know a little girl uh, a little girl and a fairy that have tea every other sunday as long as the fairy is an actual fairy oh, and yeah. not uh, a pixie not a goblin not an elf not a troll it's an it's a fairy if you're going to call it a fairy make it a fairy it's fine if it's a troll that shows up and has tea with the the little girl every Sunday while her grandma and grandpa are off to church and she doesn't like church because she's a little heathen and the troll shows up and has tea with her every Sunday, but make it a freaking troll. And there's many options for trolls. Oh cause... dude, you can go crazy with trolls. There are so many different types of trolls. The The most common pers- way to get people to understand what a troll is, is I call them an, an elemental and then they're like, what really? So they're, they could be made out of stone. Sure can. What about, Dirt, yes, that too. Trees, yes, that too. Mushrooms, yep, even those. Well, and trolls are specifically in our realm physically. And there yes. are spirits that are like that, and then there are spirits that come over in spirit form. And again, it's it's a really broad category. And I have tripped up myself more than once on a few occasions because I, I find something else. I'm like, oh, I was wrong here. And then I correct myself. Well, and we, we got several minutes left, but... I got to make sure I put this in when you're telling the stories, the most important or the second most important thing, most important thing is get it right. Because even if you tell a bad story, get it right. The second most important thing, the thing that will make people actually learn from it is have fun with it. 
Oh yeah, actually enjoy it. That's one of the differences because I've gotten people to just grin from ear to ear because I'm having fun talking about the gods. Yeah, I, I've told people horrifying stories. I've told them heartbreaking uh, stories. All of them heathen stories, but horrifying and and heartbreaking and joyous and just blatantly funny and nonsensical and get them to light up and react to the story and I can watch them absorb the story and they're like wow that is just so powerful and it doesn't matter which emotion so you can write a horror story just do it right you can write a happy fun time story just do it right you can write satire it doesn't matter our creatures they are us are our, our religious figures because in essence for the modern terms and languages to get people to understand the importance of them that's what we have to call them is religious religious figures well and you've gotten whole groups of not us so ameriblacks uh asians oh to get angry about the perversions that they've done to them because they realize that it's the same as bastardizing their religious figures mm -hmm. like if you had amaterasu played by whoopi goldberg the japanese would lose their shit yes but you have her play an elf or a witch that's perfectly fine no, it's not. And we know that, but they don't understand that. They think it's made up. There's a lot of our own people that think this is completely made up. They don't understand. These are religious figures. We need to explain to them. These are religious figures. It doesn't matter if they're literally real or not. Is an angel literally real? We don't know. The Christians themselves, they, they if they say yes, it's because they believe it. But can they prove it? No, well, no more than we can prove that an elf exists. Well, and one of the ways that something important to remember, there is a very big difference between belief and wanting to believe something. And there is just as much a gap between knowing something and believing it. And then there is just as much a gap between knowing something and internalizing it and understanding it. Mm -hmm. These are all four different things that sound like the same thing. You, you'll know the difference when you experience it. And really... I think it's important when you tell the stories to, at the very least, enjoy them. You don't have to believe that Red Riding Hood actually happened to enjoy Red Riding Hood. Correct. Well, and then here, here's another mistake a, a lot of storytellers, they hold themselves or try holding themselves to the standard of Tolkien. And they try creating this big, broad, epic world and this big, broad, epic story. Most of our stories weren't told that way. That is an outlier story. Most of our stories are short stories. If you want to be actually traditional, short stories. Conan by Robert E. Howard is far more accurate to how we tell, uh, traditionally tell our stories than Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Howard and like some the old pulp stories was basically a continuation of our heroic tales. Right. Doesn't mean that you can't tell the big story, uh, the, the big epic one, but you don't have to. Tell a bunch of short stories and kind of loosely string them together if you want to make a book. Well, that's what uh, Howard did because he wrote like one or two novellas. Mm -hmm. And he basically his novellas just, are, let's say, lacking. Well, it's because he basically wrote a bunch of short stories and was like, hmm, how do I make this one story? Yeah. Overarching plot inserted on top. Right. And where he made the mistake was he didn't have fun with the novellas. No, he did. So it, out of it became obligation. obvious. Yeah, he did it out of obligation. And because somebody told him that he couldn't with the one. And the other one was a was an obligation, but you can tell that he he didn't try very hard, and you could tell that he 
just glued it together. He phoned it in. Yeah, he phoned it in. But there's other, like, um, um, the Myth series by Robert Asprin. That's actually a bunch of short stories strung together very well. Because you can take one chapter and then, what, a paragraph of the next chapter? And that's a, it's a complete short story, all, in, all in, on its own. Well, and especially because of how he sets up the stories that he does write, the ending is almost inconsequential. Yeah. Like, it's so lackluster. You don't read the myth series for the ending. No. Because the ending is almost always lackluster compared to what you want. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast that people need to understand that when they write a story, especially fantasy, that they're inheriting this eons of lore and storytelling tradition and that there's an obligation there. There's responsibility there. But here's the beautiful thing. You have eons of storytelling to pull from. Yes. Like, think of the influence that authors like Howard, Lovecraft, even ones that aren't very good, like Poe, all these different authors. I think my eye just exploded when you said (laughs) Poe. Tolkien, on and on and on. And look at the Arthurian romances, the epics of Greece. Oh, there goes the the other eye. (laughs) The sagas of Scandinavia, the, the folk tales, the folk songs, all these beautiful things across our lands for eons mm-hmm. well and, we're, and we get to use that in our modern stories we get to use that to create new things that our people can enjoy and grow from and inspire ourselves yes uh, well said i mean i i have nothing to add well with that the lore keeper is going to sign out all right so uh yeah this one's a bit short but it's i hope that it's a powerful uh podcast help people out there that's interested and or just are we're wondering about the importance of these stories, whether they're new or old. We need to safeguard our religious figures. We can use the stories to teach uh, heathenry, e- even the ones that we didn't necessarily write. Like, um, well, I didn't personally write Harry Potter. Can use Harry Potter to teach about the Dagda because um, Hagrid is almost a perfect one for one. He's not quite a perfect one for one, but he's really close one to one for the Dogda. And I've gotten people to just almost weep for the Dogda. And especially and get angry when they see the Dogda disparaged. And they're like, no, this is not right. Ah because they can tell. They they can tell. So we can use the stories to teach who we are. Um don't we're not Christian man. Just get the stick out of your butt and have fun. All right, until then, I guess uh, we'll see you guys later.